Boris has bungled it, they scoff. He's made an absolute mess of everything, various pundits imply. Among the opinion-forming classes, it's become common wisdom that it's all starting to unravel. Not just for Boris Johnson's unapologetically pro-Brexit administration, but for the Brexit project itself. Are they right? Things certainly haven't been easy. In Parliament and in the courts, Romaniac ultras fight a ferocious rearguard action. Boris's government has suffered a series of setbacks. One might even say he's been snookered. Having pledged to exit the EU at the end of October, the Prime Minister is now confronted by legislative measures passed by Parliament that apparently forbid us from leaving without a deal. Boris appears to lead a minority government that can't command a majority in the Commons, yet seems unable to trigger an election. Boris, the great Brexiteer-in-chief, looks like he's been left dangling. Now, to make matters worse, activist judges could, Burko-style, decide it's time for an impromptu constitutional innovation and rule that Prime Ministers can no longer prorogue Parliament without their permission. If so, these activist judges may even end up paving the way for maniac ultras to revoke Article 50 altogether. Perhaps, a cynic might say, that's the intention. If it seems that everything's against Boris and the Brexiteers, it's worth remembering that things have been this way before. I remember many occasions when sitting in Vote Leave's offices in the run-up to the referendum, how gleefully the pundits on the other side of the river in Westminster reported our side's every apparent setback. President Obama's intervention about being at the back of the queue was a major reversal for the Leave side, they informed us. Having the leader of every major party against us was a blow, apparently. Didn't we know that everyone, even the CBI and the Archbishop of Canterbury, was lined up against Leave? Then, as now, there was one group of people that the pundits overlooked. The electorate. It turned out that Obama, the CBI, the Governor of the Bank of England, the Archbishop, weren't quite everyone. Just as happened during the referendum, much of the commentary I covered today has been focused on matters of tactics, not the strategic situation. And for all the tactical defeats that Boris and the Brexit side might have suffered over the past few weeks, their strategic position is stronger than ever. For a start, the behaviour of the Remain establishment over the past three years generally, and the last three or four weeks specifically, has done something that the Leave campaign could have only ever dreamed of doing. It's indelibly implanted in the minds of millions of voters that there is, indeed, an unaccountable, tinnied, europhile establishment. During the referendum campaign, we Leavers steered clear away of building our core argument against the EU on the basis of this unaccountable establishment. Why? It might have resonated with those already inclined towards Leave, but it was often just too abstract for those undecided voters we needed to try and win over. Not anymore. Today it's widely appreciated that there is an unaccountable elite, and focus group after focus group shows that it's not only understood very widely that there's an unaccountable elite, but they're deeply resented amongst key sections of the electorate. Now at some point the Brexit-blocking establishment is going to have to face a reckoning with those that they've antagonised. 
it's perhaps because they're dimly waking up to this that Sir Oliver Letwin and the other Brexit blocking MPs have started to argue that we need to have a rigged Remain option only referendum before an election. Why? They can see the writing on the wall. Sir Oliver suggests that holding a referendum before a general election will allow the EU question to be settled so that politics can return to being what the Sir Olivers of this world want it to be about. I'm not sure it really works that way, Sir Oliver. The next election is going to be about people like you, Sir Oliver. You, Sir Oliver, and other Brexit blockers might cut and run from public life before the storm. But a storm is coming and I think it's going to sink the careers of any Sir Olivers prepared to stand. Incidentally, Amber Rudd, how is that search for a new seat coming along? If Boris appears to have been left dangling by opposition MPs unwilling to allow him to call an election, it's worth remembering why the Remain Alliance fears an election now. They've got every reason to. Being a Brexit blocker might win you plaudits on BBC Radio 4. It might sound good on Channel 4, but it won't win many votes in the Midlands, or Wales, or the North East, or indeed across much of suburban Britain where elections are actually decided. The second strategically important shift is the Conservative Party's ability to pick up support from this antagonised electorate. Now, for years, the Conservative Party has been divided on Europe. Those that ran the party tended to favour more integration, while the wider membership opposed it. I believe it's of extraordinary strategic importance that that ambivalence has come to an end. The expulsion of 21 Conservative MPs that sided with Jeremy Corbyn in a key Commons vote honouring the referendum result means the Conservative Party is not just in favour of leaving. Any ambiguity about the need to leave, I think, is now incompatible with standing as a Conservative candidate at the next election. I suspect that the Remain side keep losing because they're muddling tactics and strategy. They listen to what broadcasters and the press lobby tell one another, rather than listening to a country that they simply don't understand. Now, if the Remain side were any better at campaigns, they might have spent some of the past three years trying to appreciate the strategic strengths of their opponents. They might have asked how the Leave side came to associate Euroscepticism with the argument in favour of more localism. They might have considered how growing anti-politics attitudes have underpinned the case for Leave, and why the rise of the former ratchets up support for the latter. Instead, the Remainers reach for the intellectual equivalent of a comfort blanket. Leavers are older because they're outdated, they say. So the Remainers never stopped to ask why, if Euroscepticism is so essentially backward-looking, why is it that Britain's become more Eurosceptic over the years? Remain cheerleaders go on about what was written on the side of a red bus during the referendum campaign. But they never ponder if the idea of having more control might actually appeal to a population that's increasingly modern thanks to digital technology and increasingly open to the idea of having control over their lives. A world in which digital technology has made choice, selection and control a cultural norm. Only older people support Leave, they insist. As Leave voters die off, 
will become more pro-Remain, some even suggest. It never seems to have occurred to Remain strategists that another explanation for this age differential in attitudes towards the EU might in fact be that it's being pro-Remain that tends to diminish with the passage of time. Because the Remain side hasn't learnt, they've not adapted. So they're left fighting battles over parliamentary procedure and in the courts, when the question of Brexit is going to be settled in the court of public opinion. No wonder Boris now has a double-digit poll lead. Unless the Remainers intend to abolish future elections altogether, it's they, not Boris, that are snookered. <laughs>